0: Good morning, everyone. It is so great to see you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my life is like a day in Vegas. My fate, my destiny is all wrapped up in the roll of the dice. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you lose. Let me illustrate by using a member of the congregation. I thought long and hard about who could handle what I'm about to do, and I landed on Donnie Haney. So I'm going to ask him to come on up. Let's give him a hand. Come on over here, Donnie. I appreciate you being willing to do this. Now here's the deal, which you didn't know about ahead of time, is that we're going to uh, have you roll the di- dice against this little wall here. And if you roll um, Lucky Sevens, Snake Eye, or uh, Boxcar, which, I, uh, th- which is double sixes. I worked out all that with Max before the service. He helped me out with all that Vegas language stuff. So if you roll Lucky Seven, Snake Eyes, which is two ones, or Boxcar, also known as Midnight, double sixes, then you're gonna get a signed autograph copy of one of my books called Making Room for Life, which you can put on eBay and sell for half the retail price. <laughs> However, if you do not roll one of those three, uh, you are going to agree to get a pie in the face. All right, all right, so uh, you up for that? I'm ready. All right, lucky seven, here it comes. All right, go. All right, we've got a five here, and we've got a one. Oh, well, just your luck, my friend. So if you will go ahead and come over here and uh, hold out your, hold out your, no, no, that's just for me. Just hold out your, close your eyes and hold out your hands. And uh, this is not going to hurt. Ready? One, two, three. We can't mess up the stage. You are lucky, lucky, <laughs> lucky, 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 lucky. You bet. Blessings to you. Now there are times when a set of circumstances unfolds and comes together where you experience a either a, a colossal disaster or a or a massive windfall in your favor. And some would call this working of circumstances, they would call it a coincidence, and others would call it pure luck. But there are a group of people who would say, no, I believe someone is working behind the scenes, pulling strings, working out my destiny. Well, chapter 20 of the story is such a story. So I'm going to ask you if you brought your copy of the story or your Bible, hold it up high for me to see all over the house. Fantastic. And uh, turn to chapter 20 of the story or the Old Testament book of Esther, and we will dive in. Chapter 20. We're introduced in this chapter to a guy named Haman. And what we learn about Haman from the very get-go is that Haman hates, and I don't use that word lightly, Haman hates the Jews of the Old Testament, also known as Hebrews or the Israelites. In all the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire where he and all of these Jews are living. Now you may remember in our previous studies of the story or your personal study of the Bible that the southern kingdom of Judah were exiled to Babylon in the year 586 B.C. under the discipline of God. Now the empire of Babylon since then, a couple chapters later, is overtaken by a new pagan empire called the Persian Empire, just like Daniel told us when he interpreted the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 18. So the setting of this story is a new capital city, not of Babylon, but of Persia, called Susa. And if you're keeping up with your map, opening up to the beginning of the story, uh, you can take the, uh, and draw a triangle. But first of all, you have to identify the city of Susa. We're going to put up that map. And there you'll see the city of Susa, farther to the, further to the east than Babylon, right? Susa. And then a little triangle with an E in it, representing the main character of chapter Twenty, who is Esther. This is where the story of chapter 20 unfolds. Now, Jewish traditions suggest that Haman had it out for the Jews or the Hebrews because he was an Amalekite, a direct descendant of King Agag. Now, you may remember a number of chapters ago, chapter 10 of the story, God asked King Saul, the first monarch of Israel, to completely wipe out all of the Amalekite people for two reasons. Reason number one, their extreme, persistent, and consistent consistent wickedness, such as child sacrifices. And number two, they were the first people who tried to stop Israel from entering into the land of Canaan, which meant that they were directly standing opposed to the unfolding of God's upper story plan. And we've been learning from chapter 1 of the story that God has a grand plan to get us back, a grand upper story that he promises to unfold and it will happen regardless. And the Amalekites stood opposed to that. Now, we learned in chapter 10 of the story that through Saul's disobedience in not taking out all of the Amalekites, that 400 of them survived. And here today, hundreds of years later, Haman is from this nation And he holds a huge grudge, as you might suspect, against the Israelites. Got it? That's who Haman is. Now, it just so happens, the roll of the dice, that Haman is living in Susa, and he has received the blessing and the honor from the king of Persia, and is given a position of high honor, and as a result, tons of authority. And Haman decides to use his authority to plan or to conjure up a plan to completely exterminate the Jews. Now there's one particular Israelite that Haman has it out for. His name is Mordecai. Why? Well, the story simply tells us says Haman would parade through town, Mordecai failed to bow down to Haman and it just got his goat. So of all the Hebrews, the one that got his goat, the one he loathed the most was Mordecai. Now, On page 231 of the story, we see that Haman goes to the king of Persia, a guy named Xerxes, and convinces him that the Israelites are bad people and that it would be in the best interest of the kingdom for them to be eliminated. Now the question becomes, how will it be done? Well, Haman has a plan. He will issue an official decree marked by the king's signet ring that gives the people of Persia in all 127 provinces gives them the legal permission to kill any Hebrew or Hebrew family on one particular day, and one particular day only. In one day, all of the Jews living in the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire will be killed. And as an incentive, if you killed a Hebrew family, not only was it legal, but you would be able to keep their personal possessions for yourself. The king goes along with the plan. Now to de- determine the exact day that the Hebrews or the Jews would be exterminated, Haman rolls the dice. Now in ancient language, the word is poor. P-U-R. You'll see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament interpreted lots or the casting of lots or the throwing of the dice. So Haman gets together uh, a group of guys and he is going to cast the poor or the lots or he's going to roll the dice to determine which day the jews would be exterminated so he rolls the poor or the dice and the date is adair the 13th in the jewish calendar or in our month the months of february to march adair the 13th 11 months from when he rolled the dice Adair the 13th, it would be legal to take out a Hebrew family in an attempt to exterminate all the Jews on that day. Now the edict goes out with the king's seal on it, meaning that it's irreversible. Nothing can change it. And you can just imagine when that edict came to the ears and the eyes of the Israelites living throughout Persia. The fear that must have overwhelmed them The agony of waiting 11 months. It's like sitting on death row waiting for that day to arrive. Adair the 13th. The roll of the dice. Lucky sevens for Haman. The short straw for Israel. But there's something else going on at the same time as Haman's story. Another storyline altogether that's going to eventually collide with Haman's story. At the opening of chapter 20 of the storybook, or the book of Esther, King Xerxes is holding a grand party, and he summons the queen to come to the party. Now, something you may not be familiar with, in ancient times, Persia included, a queen could not come into the presence of the king without first being summoned. However, when the king summoned the queen to come into his presence, she needed to come. For whatever reason, on this particular night, Queen Vashti is her name. She refuses to come, and this embarrasses King Xerxes. And so he gathers together his male counselors and asks what he should do. On page 228 of the story, or Esther chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, the king receives this counsel from his guy friends. Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the people of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women so that they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day the Persians and the median women of, the no- of nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way, there is no end of res- disrespect and discord. Now, you know what I have to say about that principle? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I was born at night, but not last night. I'm not touching that one. From this council, the king puts out a formal decree that Vashti be stripped of her status as queen and that she can never come into the presence of the king again. And that's how her story Unfolds all the remaining days of her life. Xerxes and Vashti, in my estimation, should have tried out our dynamic marriage workshop (laughs) before they resorted to such extremes, but they don't listen. So the king needs a new queen. So all the young, beautiful women of the kingdom are brought to the palace one by one to spend an evening with the king sort of an ancient bachelor show, if you will. Now, ladies, I don't know if you read the story this week or Esther and noticed what I noticed, but I'm almost sure you did. On the bottom of page 229 of the story or Esther chapter 2 in verse 12, this is how it reads. Before a young woman's turn came to go into the king, Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for women, Six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. Not a bad way to spend a year. And all the women said? Amen. Even some of the guys said amen. <laughs> Even if the king doesn't select you, a year's worth of free spa treatments at the spa of Susa isn't bad. Well, as it turns out, the luck of the draw, snake eyes, the young woman who was selected is a young woman named Esther. Esther is an orphaned Hebrew girl who was raised by her older cousin Mordecai. Mordecai. That's right, the same guy that Haman has it out for. No one makes the connection because Esther keeps her nationality concealed. We're about three months into this thing with only nine months to go before Adair the 13th Before the Jews, the Hebrews, are exterminated. And Mordecai sends word to now Queen Esther and tells her that she must go before the king and plead for mercy for her people before it's too late. You've already seen the story as it unfolds for Vashti. Esther says back to Mordecai, She says, I don't think you understand. I can't go into the king's presence unless he summons me. And if I do and he doesn't receive me, not only can I lose my position as queen, but he has the right to take my very life. And Esther reports back to her through a messenger something very important. Listen carefully. He says, I don't think you understand, Esther. With some sort of the knowledge of God's upper story and plan to preserve Israel... He says to her, If you don't stand in the gap and do this, I am confident that some other plan will emerge to provide for relief for Israel. Then he says these famous words to Esther on page 232 of the story, or Esther chapter 4 in verse 14. And who knows, but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Maybe you've heard that phrase before for such a time as this. It comes out of the beautiful story and conversation of Mordecai to Esther. He says to her, maybe this isn't the random rolling of the dice after all, Esther. God has an upper story, a plan to keep Israel alive, and he will do this one way or the other. His upper story cannot be thwarted, but maybe, just maybe, God has placed you in this unlikely position for an orphaned Hebrew woman not because of your outward beauty, but because God wants to use you to stand in the gap and to accomplish His purposes for such a time as this. On the top of page 233, or Esther chapter 4 and verse 16, Esther says back to Mordecai these famous words, I will go to the king even though it's against the law. Now finish it with me. And if I perish i perish three days later after a period of fasting esther goes into the room where the king is without being summoned and it says that he extended the golden scepter to her which means that he received her he has fallen backwards in love with this beautiful queen esther and not only does he receive her but he says to her Make any request you want up to half of my kingdom." This is what I say to Roseanne when she comes into my home office without first being summoned. I say to her, Come in, sweetheart, don't be afraid. Ask anything you want up to a half of my vast estate. You know that 1998 Ford Expedition with 173,000 miles on it that I drive? Half of that is yours, babe. Esther says to the king that her first request is for a small dinner the next night with only two guests, the king and Haman. She says at that dinner she will give her request. Now Haman gets the invitation that he's been invited to this exclusive dinner and he skips home like a happy dude and he gets home and he tells his family how great his life is. His life is filled with power and position, he's got all kinds of wealth, everything's working for him, and to top it off, he's received an exclusive invitation for a dinner party with the king and the queen. His life is really working. He says to his family, the only thing that bugs me is that I have to wait nine months to see Mordecai killed. So the family conjures up a plan. They said, you know what, why wait nine months? Why wait nine months? And so they come up with the plan that he that he's going to offer up to the king the next morning. What is the plan? To erect a pole 75 feet high and the story simply says get the king's permission to impale Mordecai on it right away. That's the plan. It just so happens the roll of the dice that that night when Haman goes to bed and dreams the sweet dreams of Mordecai being impaled on a pole that King Xerxes can't sleep. It's just a roll of the dice. Now what do you do when you can't sleep? Maybe you count sheep or maybe you um, watch TV or maybe you take some uh, NyQuil PM or if you read one of my books it'll put you to sleep right away. But Xerxes decides that he is going to invite one of his guys in to read him a story. And the story he's going to read are the chronicles of King Xerxes, the diary of all the things that have happened under King Xerxes' reign. And it just so happens as they're reading, they come across a story, an entry in the journal, that speaks of a time earlier when none other than Mordecai, yes, Mordecai, blew the whistle on two men in the king's court who were plotting an assassination against the king's life. Mordecai wakes up and he says have we ever done anything to honor Mordecai for what he did for me? And the answer was, no, we haven't. So the king has a plan. He wakes up in the morning, and Haman comes skipping into the palace, about ready to share his plan against Mordecai, when the king Xerxes says to Haman, hey, Haman, um, if there was this guy that brought tremendous delight to the king, what would you recommend I do to honor him? Well, the arrogant, prideful Haman thinks that the king is speaking of him. And so he says, Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I would dress him in royal robes and I would parade him through the town praising his name. The king says, That's a great idea. I want you to go get Mordecai and I want you personally to parade him through town praising his name. The roll of the dice. Can you imagine as Haman did that how it got his goat that he had to do that? Can you imagine? Well, after he does that, nightfall comes, and it's time for the small dinner. At the dinner, Esther finally makes her request that her people, the Israelites, be saved from the extermination that is coming in nine months. This is the first time that Esther reveals her nationality as an Israelite. The king inquires about who ordered such a thing, and Esther says... He's sitting right next to you, your majesty. It's Haman. The story tells us the king is so furious, he gets up and he leaves the room. Haman knows that he is in deep trouble, so he stays in the room to plead for his life in front of Esther. And as he is walking toward Esther, the roll of the dice and the king is coming back into the room, Haman trips and falls on the couch on top of Esther, and it appears to the king that he is making an advance on his wife. So furious is he that the king orders for Haman to be impaled on the 75-foot pole that was prepared for Mordecai. Talk about bad luck. Talk about bad timing. No more lucky sevens. No more snake eyes. No more boxcar for Haman. It tells us in the story that Mordecai is given Haman's position and all of his estate. And Mordecai's first order of business is this irreversible edict that Haman set in motion to execute all the Jews on Adair the 13th. But because it had the king's seal on it, it was irreversible. So Mordecai gets the king's blessing to send out another edict that would allow all the Jews to stand up ...and defend themselves on Adair the 13th. Now fast forward to Adair the 13th. Nine months later, non-Jewish people from all over the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire... ...attack individual Jewish families in the greedy hope of looting their possessions. But the Jews are given legal right that day to stand up and to defend themselves... And the story tells us that they take out, the Jews take out and defeat 75,810 people. Ten of them being the ten sons of Haman. Upon this victory, Mordecai establishes an annual celebration that the Jews still observe today. It is a yearly feast that will take place this year, 2009, on March the 10th. Watch for it. Ironically, it's called the Feast of Purim, which translated means the Feast of Dice. In this celebration, they give food to one another. They give gifts to the poor. But at this feast, they also read the book of Esther from beginning to end. Listen to this. Whenever Haman's name is read, they boo and hiss. Let's try it. Haman. Whenever Mordecai's name is read, they make noise. Like, they go, yay. Ready? Quiet down. (laughs) Mordecai. What a story, wouldn't you say? Now, the question remains is, what does this ancient story have to do with my life? What does this ancient story have to do with your life, besides just being a good story? I want you to write down Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. King Solomon wrote these wise words, and I paraphrase just a little bit. People roll the dice, but God determines how the dice fall. People roll the dice, but God determines how the dice falls. Now, I don't know if you caught this when you read the story of Esther this week in chapter 20, but God's name is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther but that doesn't mean that he isn't working behind the scenes to care for his people and to work out his upper plan God promised you see unconditionally to the southern kingdom of Judah that they would return home to Jerusalem and regather as a community in the land that he gave them years before He promised them that out of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah would be born, the one who would provide the way for all people of all nations, of all languages, to come back into an eternal relationship with God if they so chose it by faith. We saw in chapter 19 just last week that 50,000 of them already have returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. But the majority of the Israelites are still living in exile in Persia. But no matter how bleak, no matter how dark the situation, no matter how how distant God may seem, he is working behind the scenes. Haman rolled the dice, but God ultimately determined how the dice would fall. And you know what? The same thing is true for Christians today just like god watched over the israelites so god promises to watch over his people the church write down this passage a new testament passage colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 in the new testament tells us that all of the old testament feasts were a shadow of what was to come in christ all of the old testament feast including the feast of purim were a shadow of what was to come in Christ. Sin rolled the dice and ordered the day of our death. But on the ultimate day of judgment, talked about in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14, instead of us being thrown into the lake of fire, sin and death are thrown into the lake of fire instead, just like the Haman and Mordecai story. In Jesus, the tables are turned. So I ask you this question, personal question. Listen carefully and answer it. What is the current fear that you are facing right now? What is the current fear that you are facing right now that stirs up in you the same kind of anxiety that was in the heart of the Jewish people as they anticipated Adair the 13th? What is it for you? Be honest. I wrote down a couple of possibilities. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's the fear of aging. Maybe it's the fear that you won't have enough money to live on. Maybe it's a job or the pending loss of a job. Maybe it's the fear of the foreclosure of your home or the actual foreclosure of your home. Maybe it's the breakdown of your family. Maybe it's the fear of being alone. Maybe it's the destructive path chosen by your adolescent or your adult children. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's the fear of death. What is it for you? We have learned today from God's word that in Christ, he wants us to stand up with courage, to stand in the gap like Esther did for what is right. But we also learned that no matter what the situation for followers of Jesus Christ just like the Israelites God is in control working behind the scenes so that the dice ultimately fall in our favor did you hear that God is working behind the scenes he is in complete control so that for those who follow him he promises that the dice will ultimately fall in your favor. So when you hear the word sin, you should want to boo and hiss. Sin. When you hear the word Satan, you should want to boo and hiss. Satan. You're good. When you hear the word death, you should want to boo or hiss. Death. But when you hear the word Jesus Christ, you should want to celebrate. Jesus Christ. Listen to these words out of Romans chapter eight and respond appropriately. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor Satan, nor anything present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither the heights, nor the death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I can hear you. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength.